0: Welcome to The Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Today on the show, I welcome my dear friend, Chip Conley. Chip really is one of my most influential mentors and has been for decades. And somehow he performs this role for so many people. I'm not sure quite how he does it. But I cannot tell you how many folks over the years have said to me, Jeff, you really, really need to meet this guy, Chip Conley. Anyways, he is just a magnificent... Fellow, He is also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the Modern Elder Academy, a school for people in midlife dedicated to helping them understand the upside of this often misconstrued and misunderstood life stage that Chip calls midlife chrysalis. I love that. As Chip says, we marvel at the tallest trees in an old growth forest but we don't tend to put the words old and growth in the same sentence when we talk about human beings. But we can and we should be both aging and growing at the same time. So today our conversation explores the concept of the modern elder, someone who is as curious as they are wise, who is looking to be relevant instead of revered, someone who combines the accumulated wisdom of a lifetime passes it down to younger generations while simultaneously wanting to learn from them in the process. In our discussion, we touch on the idea of humility and the importance of embracing discomfort and confusion when learning something new, even as one gets older. Now, curiosity is not limited to childhood and can be a really valuable mindset throughout one's life. Okay, before we dive in, if you want to learn from Chip Conley on how to age and grow at the same time, check out his fantastic Commune course, one of my favorites titled, Thriving Through Midlife and Beyond. Just go to onecommune.com thriving to start this course for free. Additionally, we are so grateful to those of you who write us reviews on Apple podcasts that we created a special offer, 30 days of free Commune membership. That's all access for a whole month. Just scroll down to the review section and tap write a review. Then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review to receive free all access for 30 days. Note that if you're on a laptop, you'll need to click Listen on Apple Podcasts to open the app. And while you're there, make sure you're subscribed. Okay, without further delay, I present to you our very own modern elder, Chip Conley. Hi, Chip. Hello, Jeff. Um, great to be with you on an unusually rainy day. Yeah, here we are in
1: Topanga Canyon, and it's, well, you know, it, it actually feels good. It's, it's good for, you know, the the, the plants. And,
0: it is, yeah. it is, and we have a crackling fire mm, over here to yes. make this even more imp- intimate than it let's might otherwise be. Listen, I'm a
1: hospitality guy, and I appreciate your hospitality, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so let's start with... Just a broad definition of what a modern elder is.
1: Yes. So a modern elder, first of all, I was given that title at Airbnb by the founders. Um, I didn't like it at first, but they said, Chip, a modern elder is someone who's as curious as they are wise. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, uh, I wanna be that. I, I, I think I'm curious. I hope you think I'm wise. But it also is a function of who you're surrounded by Mm. because elderly is a stage in life. It has nothing to do with who you're surrounded by, but an elder is a relative term. And so if you, as I was at age 52 joining Airbnb when the average age there was 26, I was an elder, (laughs) but I was a modern elder. And a modern elder is focuses on more on relevance than reverence. Mm. So the elder of the past was about reverence and that's fine. And I think in many cultures that's still true. But I think the modern elder is not so much looking to be revered, um, but looking to be relevant.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So when Brian Chesky, who was one of the co-founders of, of Airbnb, of Airbnb called, that was almost 10 years ago. So January, 2013, I believe. Yes. And I think it's fair to say that you had had a very abundant career (laughs) at that juncture. You had, Led numerous companies and exited successfully numerous companies, specifically Joie de Vivre is the one that I'm yeah. most familiar with. Uh, and you'd written many, many best selling books. Mm. So you didn't necessarily need another thing in no. your life. Um, but Brian convinced you to come and join Airbnb. And I'm wondering how that inflection point informed this notion of modern eldership.
1: So there's a, in the movie, The Intern. Did you ever see The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway? Everybody's seen it. It's a lovely movie. Didn't win any Oscars, but it did have some really great nuggets. And one of them was, Robert De Niro said early in the movie, musicians don't retire. They quit when there's no more music left inside of them. So I knew at 52, having sold my company at the bottom of the Great Recession, I knew I had music inside of me. I would never have called it wisdom. Now I understand that's what it was and is. Um, and I knew I wanted to share it, but I didn't know with whom to share it. And, and that's when Brian came along and he was he, he, co-founder, and he is a co-founder and is still the CEO of Airbnb. And he said, we're this little tech startup and we wanna be a global hospitality giant someday. And, um, but we don't even understand the, the, the industry that we're disrupting. Yeah. And um, what it helped me to see was, number one is they wanted my knowledge. My knowledge was I knew a lot about hospitality and travel industry and, and frankly entrepreneurship as well. But what they said about two months into it when they called me the modern elders, they said, we hired you for your knowledge, but what you really brought was your wisdom. And I said, well, what kind of wisdom? Emotional intelligence, leadership, um, strategic thinking. And I guess what I started to realize is that, you know, as we get older, as, as we hit midlife, often we don't even know what our gifts are because we're so used to them and we think that they're sort of natural uh, or or we think that they're so obvious and yet here i was surrounded by people in their mid-20s who hadn't had the experience i'd had and i define wisdom as metabolized experience that leads to distilled compassion Mm. metabolized experience that leads to distilled compassion and i realized that that form of wisdom the idea that I would skinned my knee, broken my nose, and I'm talking figuratively speaking here, I'd had life lessons that helped me to become uh, savvier, wiser, maybe more compassionate, um, was something that I could gift someone else, and I could gift that to these young people who were creating a company that was going to change the travel industry. And what a what a what an experience that was!
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you often don't realize the wisdom that you've accrued mm-hmm. until you actually have to teach it That's right. or talk about it. Yeah, And so that might have been a moment of Satori for you to be sitting yeah. within that context and be like, wow, I really have accrued a tremendous amount of wisdom and I have a lot to give back right I, now.
1: I think a great exercise for any of us at any age, but especially in midlife and later, is to ask ourselves, If I were to sit down with someone who's younger than me, and they said, give me five pieces of proprietary wisdom or advice that has your fingerprints all over it. Not something obvious like, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Well, that was said by Oscar Wilde a long time ago. It's a beautiful statement, but the bottom line is somebody else already said it. So what, what are the five pieces of wisdom or advice that you might offer based upon your life? And that is a remarkable opportunity to um, do an inventory mm. of what you've learned along the way. I, for me, I, I at age 28, I started this book called the, My Wisdom Book. I was two years out of uh, two years after starting my company Joie de Vivre. I was a youngster CEO didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I realized that I needed to accelerate my wisdom. Yeah. And so every weekend, Uh, I would make a, I go to a diary that I pulled out that I wrote my wisdom book on the front of it, and I would write a series of bullet points of what I'd learned that week. So it wasn't a diary. It wasn't about my emotions. It was really about my lessons, and I've been doing that for 34 years now, and uh, the process of making sense and metabolizing that experience allows you to cultivate and harvest your wisdom in a way that you can make sense of the world, Yeah. so.
0: Yeah, and it is also just a very practical exercise. So I've had to write a 1,500 to 2,000 word essay for the Commune newsletter every Sunday since Mm. March 2020. Mm. And just putting myself under the gun makes you essentially synthesize this knowledge or metabolize knowledge into wisdom. I think that's a beautiful, um metaphor knowing what i know about (laughs) digestion now well
1: and you know a lot about digestion (laughs) Um, and uh i similarly it's interesting our our our, our lives have sort of uh i started a a blog a daily blog um Mm -hmm. and that was uh october 2019 so Mm -hmm. not not too much before yours your newsletter and the process of writing a daily blog and you know 300 500 words succinct you know, and microdose of wisdom each morning is beautiful. And it's a practice that has helped me to synthesize. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: one of the things we get better at, our brains, a lot of people don't, We, a lot of people know that our brain gets worse in certain ways as it ages. Number one, yeah. short term memory. But one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that while the young brain is focused um, and fast, an older brain synthesizes better. It actually, can it does what uh, a guy named Dr. Jean Cohen um, said is four wheel drive of the brain. You're mm-hmm. able to actually move from logical to lyrical much more easily, and it's partly because the brain shrinks as we age, and we are more adept at learning how to use left and right brain almost simultaneously, and that's why we are better at thinking holistically uh, and systemically, and it's why we can connect the dots. Uh, you know, and so. When I joined Airbnb, it was to be the head of global hospitality and strategy and to be the in-house mentor to Brian, the CEO, which was interesting because he was 21 years younger than me. I was reporting to him and I was his mentor. So that's a fascinating right. dynamic there. But what became clear early was Brian said, man, I love the way your, your mind works. So you're in charge of strategy for the company now, too. I was like, dude, this is a tech company. I've never, <laughs> I'm 52 years old. I've never been in a tech company before. And you want me to be a head, strategy, head of strategy for a tech company? And he said, yeah, because you, you are able to see around the corners you are mm-hmm. able to see the collateral costs and benefits of the decisions we're making, yeah. and that is true. As we are younger, we tend to have a little bit, you know, tunnel vision. We're looking at what's right directly in front of us, but because we don't necessarily have the metabolized experience, uh, we don't know what the implications are um, and the knock-on effects of some of the decisions we make. And so, yeah, that's part of what I did in my seven and a half years, four years full time, three and a half years as a part-time strategic advisor at Airbnb.
0: Let's unpack that concept of wisdom a little bit more. So there's uh, emotional intelligence. There is um, the ability to listen, Mm -hmm. to foster consensus Mm -hmm. in a room, to grok the essence of something, mm-hmm. and not just examine its mm-hmm. component parts. What else? What else informs wisdom? wisdom and wisdom versus knowledge. So, knowledge.
1: <clears throat> I wrote a book a few years ago called "Emotional Equations." I love that book. Um, and <laughs> knowledge is an arithmetic equation where it's plus. You accumulate knowledge, but wisdom you distill, and mm-hmm. so it's not it's not arithmetic. It's not like adding something. It is dividing something. It is the division. It's the square root of something. We live in an era that is full of knowledge. We're, we're awash in knowledge. <coughs> All of the world's knowledge is on my phone. Right here. It's right there in my pocket.
0: On a whim. It's in right. the palm of your hand. Uh,
1: and it was ni- in 1959 that Peter Drucker actually coined the phrase knowledge worker. And he said the future of the world will be ruled by knowledge workers. And he was, he was right. Uh, seven of the 10 most valuable companies in the world today are, are tech companies. But what we desperately need is not the accumulation, but we need the editing, the discernment, the distillation of what is truly essential and important. And that's what wisdom is. So wisdom is the ability to um, grok, like in this particular moment, what is needed. And it's not necessarily another piece of knowledge, but it's actually sort of taking all of that and distilling down to what's important. I think another element of wisdom and aging is the idea of alchemy. You know, yeah. uh, when we're young, it's sort of like we, you've got, you might have this interest in this and this interest there. As we get older, you learn how to, to alchemize when, what does the situation need right now? Curiosity or wisdom, hmm. introversion or extroversion, right. gravitas or levity. So that kind of intuition, the ability to intuit in the moment, which of my, skills or talents or perspectives is needed is something I think that is a a defining characteristic of wisdom.
0: Yeah, so interesting. So if you study systems of nature, what you will always find is this asymmetrical, sensitive order or balance between growth and repair. Yeah. When you acquire wisdom, often through experience, I think experience plus humility can, mm-hmm. can yield wisdom, um, then you, in some ways, align yourself with nature's foundational intelligence yeah. to balance that yin or yang of the moment and bring opposites into some sort of coherence.
1: I, I love what you're saying, and I, um, I think it's interesting also that as humans, and as a society, we're we marvel at children who are growing. Mm. And then at some point you stop growing and you start aging, as if you can't grow and age at the same time.
0: I mean, okay. in the forest, yeah.
1: back to, to your example, we love an old growth forest, a bunch of redwoods, and, and we marvel at the ones that are the tallest. But we don't tend to put old and growth in the same sentence talking about a human. As if growth doesn't occur. Yeah, it do, you know, it doesn't occur in terms of height, but it doesn't Occur in terms of depth. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we need to look at as a society is the fact that, yes, you can be both aging and growing at the same time. You can both be growing and dying. You know, certain parts of us are going to be dying. All of our cells, you know, are dying as they are also renewing. Uh, new ones are renewing. So the bottom line is the idea of a regenerative lifestyle is based upon the idea of uh, both adopting. New growth in your life while learning to let go using discernment what no longer serves.
0: Mm-hmm. So here you are in the boardrooms and and uh, meeting rooms of Airbnb, mm-hmm. and you're discovering um, all of your wisdom contributions um, to that particular enterprise. At the same time, you're also coming up against terms and that you have, <laughs> you've never heard of, right? And yeah. I mean, you're not an engineer or a no. coder necessarily. No. no,
1: I've never worked at a tech
0: company. And you know, it is typical of people who get older, well, they begin to ossify. Yeah. And, um, and they become, uh, I guess, very discomforted or, um, or uncomfortable with confusion yeah. or, or, the un, not knowing what words mean. And yeah. right, so describe what that experience was like to kind of sit, given your history and your knowledge base, to sit inside of a tech company.
1: Well, back to the intern, De Niro came in <laughs> as the senior intern to help intern with Anne Hathaway, half his age and he became her mentor. Mm-hmm. I came in as Brian Chesky's mentor, but after a couple of weeks in the company, I realized I was an intern when it came to technology. So what was beautiful was I went for a walk with my father about, um, gosh, I'd been in the company a couple of months, and I was embarrassed. Like, I felt like <laughs> I was I was not the wise. I might have been the wisest person in the room occasionally, but I was definitely the dumbest. And so after a couple of meetings where I realized I had no idea What these people were talking about, I would just start making a list of the words that I didn't understand. And after the meeting, I would ask someone, you know, tell me about, you know, what does this mean? And um, what does it mean to, uh, you know, ship a product? I I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, Now I do, but I mean, at that time, I didn't. And so my dad said to me as we were going uh, going on this walk, Chip, how do you turn your fear into curiosity? Mm. And that was really helpful advice because I think there was a, One of the challenges we have as we go into midlife or later is we don't want to look like an idiot. And, and, and yet life, if we, if we have a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed one, so a fixed mindset is very much focused on uh, proving yourself and you define success as winning, but a growth mindset is about improving yourself and you define success as learning. And so if you can get to a place where you realize I don't mind looking like a beginner, I don't mind being the person in the room who is the most curious. Once I got to that place, I was able to really shift and be in a place where I was learning and I, and to be learning and in that 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 early stage of learning something new is like an it's like an aphrodisiac. I mean yeah. it really just turns you on.
0: Yeah, it's an, it's addictive.
1: It is. It's addictive and it's it's just healthy because it makes you realize that you have the capacity to learn something new. I, I, I started learning Spanish at age 57 or 58. I started learning to surf at age 58. Um, and so the process of learning something new, in, in this case at Airbnb, learning tech and the language of tech, the thinking, the, what digital intelligence is.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: delivered my EQ. They <laughs> delivered their DQ. DQ. <laughs> so I was a mentor. I was a mentor and an intern at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was doing mutual mentorship with, not just with Brian, but with... You know, over the course of seven and a half years, over a hundred employees in the company that I helped mentor, because in most cases they were mentoring me as well.
0: I think there is an innate part of you that gravitates towards mentorship. Yeah. Um, I mean. I know just from my own personal experience mm. is that you have always been one of the most generous people, mm. um, and that you take great joy mm. in in that munificence. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know specifically, you know, I remember. I mean, the new often need friends, right? So mm. when I was starting Wanderlust in two thousand eight, and uh, you know, trying to get something off the ground is, is yeah. difficult. Yep. And
1: Especially in a, the Great Recession. In the Great Recession. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I my, We raised money three different times for Wanderlust. Yeah. You know, and they, every time it, it imploded. But finally, you know, we, we scraped together enough to just get that first event off the ground. And I needed a place to basically raise awareness and bring community together. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure who introduced me to you, but I got your email somehow. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, hey, Chip, you know, uh, I've got this idea. Um, it's basically the world's largest wellness retreat. Um, it's called Wanderlust. You know, I need to, I need to organize community. I need to galvanize community. Um, do you have any ideas? And so you offered, uh, to host the very, very first Wanderlust event ever, um, on the rooftop of this absolutely fantastic hotel, um, right, uh, right by the ferry building yeah. in San Francisco called the Vitale. and um and we held the very first wanderlust event ever um bringing together all of the top yoga teachers and other interesting people in the worlds of sustainability and um on top of that roof deck and that was the springboard to what became a global company i mean at the peak we had 68 festivals in 20 countries annually <laughs> ah! you grew
1: <laughs> like a weed uh, in the in a rainstorm i yeah, mean like,
0: it, it was it nuts. was
1: it was amazing no i the idea of mentorship is important yeah you know it is a it is a karmic um i'm a big believer in karmic capitalism what goes around mm. comes around and When I was young, at age 30, I reached out to a guy named Herb Kelleher. So Herb was the founding uh, CEO, and for 37 years, the CEO of Southwest Airlines. That's right. And I was growing my company, Joie de Vivre. At that point, still only had one hotel, but we were about to grow to have a second, third, and ultimately 52 boutique hotels around California. And, I reached out to Herb, I actually went, I called Dallas, I called <laughs> Southwest Airlines Headquarters because I I really admired Southwest as a company and I really wanted to learn from like, a, like the best person in the world who could teach me about corporate culture. And so I called and I didn't get Herb when I called headquarters in, in, in Dallas, but I got his <laughs> assistant, uh, Colleen Barrett and Colleen took my call and she heard me and she understood that i wanted to talk to herb she said herb's really busy um, so probably can't talk to you but if you wrote him a letter Mm. he might actually answer you Mm. and so i wrote him a letter asked him three questions uh about culture three weeks later i get a letter back snail mail letter back from herb and he really liked my questions and he answered them really well and he said you know what once a year you're welcome to send me a letter and ask me some questions. And for 10 years, I had a pen pal relationship <laughs> with Herb Keller, um, one of the most famous CEOs and, and, and just a legendary CEO. Um, and so I guess what I look at is I, you know, he did that for me.
0: Yeah.
1: How can I do that for someone else? Uh, and that's been my perspective, you know, as, as a leader. Partly because, gosh, you know, David Brooks wrote about this in uh, the uh, New York Times a bunch of years ago, the eulogy versus the resume values. You know, mm. at, at your eulogy, they're not going to be talking about your, your resume. They're going to be talking about the character qualities that you showed up with and what were most memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, um, I want my eulogy to be, you know, a bunch of people saying, Chip was somebody who had an impact on me. There's a guy named Eric Erickson, a developmental psychologist. Yeah. He had looked at the eight stages of life. And he really focused on the seventh stage, which is really midlife and beyond. And he said, this is a stage where it is, the challenge is generativity versus stagnation. And the most important question we can ask ourselves or the, the bumper sticker in our mind should be, I am what survives me. Hmm. And I am what survives me uh, is is really how I define my life today hmm. is, you know, I, I, I've spent a lot of my life looking at I am what you think of me, Right. image, or I am what I can control, power, or I am what things I own, status, or I am what business card I have, you know, uh, achievement. But all those I ams are the I ams of a younger person in up till maybe age 50. And I think after about age 50, and we know that you're turning 52 soon, I I think the I am that we need to focus on is I am what survives me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will be 52 in a couple of weeks. And I would say one of the greatest, um, I think, advancements that I've made in my own life over the last couple of years goes back to what you were talking about uh, in connection with curiosity. So I've become very comfortable with discomfort Mm. with confusion Mm -hmm. and to be able to do that you actually have to let go of a lot of pride sure um and become very humble so if you want to learn something new you're and you're 51 or 52 the way that you had to do um when you were 52 at walking into airbnb Um, or, you know, honestly, the way I have to do weekly when I'm interviewing people, not only 10 times smarter than me, but with a specific expertise, yes. um, is, is let go of pride mm. and become very sort of comfortable in discomfort. So, for example, for me, I interview a tremendous amount of doctors. I'm not a gastroenterologist or a neuroscientist uh, or a metabolic health expert. So, you know, I'm sitting there reading primary source data or I'm sitting there on PubMed late at night. And about two years ago when I, when I really committed myself to learning more about physiology and interviewing functional integrated medicine doctors, I would read these articles and I literally would not be understand one out of every two words (laughs) and I'd be like, I can't even get through this sentence. I don't know what it means. But then, you know, slowly mm-hmm. through humility and persistence, you know, okay, I look up that word and I hear this word in conversation, I begin to assimilate those meanings. And you know, the next time I look at that uh that paper in nature or in science, I understand like yeah. three out of every four words, five out of every six words. You know, never a hundred percent, but you get to this place where you're like wow like i do have the ability to expand yeah and it is just the most fantastic way to go through life but
1: what's so curious about how we look at adulthood is so, that is how we felt as kids? Right. What you just described is also wonder. part of part of the wonder and curiosity that we have as kids. Why can't we have that for a lifetime? Yes. Yeah. So uh, there's a guy named Dacher Keltner who uh, is a professor at UC Berkeley. Started the Greater Good Science Center, and he has shown that when we actually invite awe into our life, um, mm-hmm. we it, it is beautiful for our brain. Um, in, in on all kinds of ways. And it's particularly important to do as we get into midlife and later. He actually advocates all walks, where you go out into nature and you just notice nature mm. and ask yourself, what is nature teaching me? So there's the idea of curiosity and, and, and beginner's mind, while, while we look at it as something that you do when you're young, and you ask all kinds of questions, and then somehow by your teen years, you're supposed to feel like you have all the answers. Um, this, is, this is not good for our health. Um, so I wanna give a, a quick uh, perspective on adolescence and middle lessons. Yeah. So adolescence um, is something, you know, adolescence is a word did not exist until 1904. Hmm. So prior to 1904, your teen years, you were an adult. When you hit puberty, you were an adult. And that's why you got married young. You had kids, you know, in your teens, you worked in a factory. And then a guy named Stanley Hall came along and he wrote a book called Adolescence. And he said, listen, adolescence is a life stage where it is the transitional life stage between childhood and adulthood. And it is a period when we're supposed to be asking lots of questions because we're actually going through, you know, profound hormonal, emotional, physical and identity transitions. And once that book was written, the world took note and said, okay, well, let's create child labor laws so kids aren't working in the mines. Let's actually create more uh, prevalent junior high schools and high schools uh, so people can actually get public education. And we gave a lot of investment to that era to help people stay curious Mm -hmm. and be beginners. And yet, now we have a word called middle essence. You've probably never heard of it because it's actually not very popularized, but it's in the gerontology world where they say, middle essence is like the adult corollary to adolescence. You're going through hormonal, emotional, physical, and identity transitions in the middle of life. Hmm. And where are where's the support, where's the support? structure? Yeah. Where are the rites of passage? Uh, you know, where's the quinceaneras or the bar mitzvahs <laughs> or the communions or the high school graduations or commencement speeches? for someone in the middle of their life. Mm. And we don't have that. And so part of my sense of purpose today, having lost five friends to suicide, uh, all men 42 to 52 during the Great Recession and having had some suicide ide- ideation myself during, during that time, um, I think it's really important for us to recognize that there are a lot of transitions happening in midlife that are absolutely normal um, and help. How do we help people feel like they have the support, the emotional support? Um, we have property and liability insurance for our home. Where's the emotional insurance for our rainy day in our own life?
0: Mm. And this middle essence is increasingly protracted, mm. right? Um, yeah. And w- w- as you say, without a lot of institutional or structural support.
1: Yeah. So midlife, so midlife, also known as middle essence. There are three. There are three life stages that got uh, created in the twentieth century, uh, because we the average longevity in the year 1900 was 47. Mm. By the year 2000 it was 77. We added 30 years of of life in in the United States. That's crazy. Yeah. All um, in, all
0: in one. All in one century. <laughs> yeah.
1: Adolescence came out of that time. Retirement 1920s 1930s became a thing in the Great Depression, mm. um, and we gave retirement. Uh, you know, Social Security and pensions and uh, ultimately retirement communities and all this attention the third life stage that actually got created in the 20th century because of that additional longevity was midlife and all midlife got in 1965 was a bad brand midlife
0: crisis <laughs> right and the r- red shiny corporate red shiny corporate watch the movie
1: american <laughs> beauty and there you go that is uh, you know the the ultimate film about midlife crisis so we don't really understand this era very well we have this perspective around midlife that somehow uh, we're supposed to know it all. We're adults, so we're not supposed to be beginners. We're not supposed to feel like we're in the midst of the transition. We're not supposed to feel liminal. Um, and yet, the there's the sheer volume of transitions that happen in midlife. Let's like let's count some empty nest.
0: Right.
1: you're gonna have that soon enough, right? Yeah, I just had one fly the coop. Okay, so empty nest. Menopause for women, andropause for men, men don't even know they're going through it. Um, Divorce, career change, parents passing away, a a changing one's career, where you live, maybe having the stirring of some spiritual awakening. This is, you know, uh, Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, and Richard Rohr, who happens to be a student of our Modern Elder Academy, uh, amazing. 50, he's written 50 yeah. books They he flew down to Bahad to actually go to, through one of our workshops. Um, they both said that the primary operating system for the first half of your life is your ego. Yeah. And it's around midlife that that primary operating system become, moves toward the soul. But we have no operating manual to understand how to operate this new stick shift thing that we're doing uh, with our soul.
0: This spiritual U-turn. Yeah. That if you're lucky, Yeah. you get to experience that. And, you know, I- if It's I, not even if you're lucky, if you're awake enough. If you're awake enough. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have the support and help. That's and right. If, and if you can build yeah. what you're building, which yeah. are some of the structures to help people with that transition. Yeah. I mean, I look, I'm 52, just about. I haven't had any formal education in 30 years. There's no structure for that. Now, fortunately, I'm curious enough to have a bunch of autodidactic pursuits, and I've been able to expand my horizons uh, because of your work and because of the people that I get to be around kind of day to day that are so inspiring. But there is no institutional structure, with the exception of yeah. Modern Elder Academy and some of the programs that you're producing and the work that we're doing right here, yep. to provide uh, guidance in, in that stage of life that is so key to this spiritual U-turn. You know, it's, um,
1: it is, it's, it's shocking that as a society, we haven't looked at this era of life and said, okay, how might we help people create a midlife pit stop? Or as Mary Catherine Bateson once said, what we need with the additional longevity we have in our lives, we've tended to think that it's almost like metaphorically, we've added two bedrooms in the backyard as if we live longer, but we're old longer. And what she Mm. says is no, 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 Mm. we're actually in midlife longer. And she said, What we really need is not two bedrooms in the backyard. We need a midlife atrium. We need a space, m- metaphorically, but maybe even liter- literally, where we can reflect and have light come in and sort of ask ourselves, how do we want to live our lives? If we've got, you know, if you're in your early to mid 50s, you may have, you may be only halfway through your adult life.
0: Right. And it's tricky because modern society, sanctifies and celebrates now the digital nativism, for Mm -hmm. example. So digital skills are put on this pedestal and you look at a lot of these, you know, companies that are in the headlines all the time, it's like Airbnb or Uber or the tech companies and like you said, you walked into there and the average what was the average age 26. of the work- 26. Yeah. So that those that skill set is the one that's being really celebrated by society. And here you are as someone, you know, limping into midlife. You say, well <laughs> what about me? <laughs> you know? Well I think
1: what we could use is a, a, a new generational compact like we've never seen before. Yeah. We have five generations in the workplace for the very first time. There's a real value in age diversity on teams and in the mm. company, yes. uh, partly because of the idea that you know a young brain and an older brain actually think and look at things slightly differently. Um, I think you know there's a lot of companies that could have would have done better if they had had a modern elder by their side with the CEO. Travis might still yeah. have his job at Uber, and Adam might have his job at WeWork, and Elizabeth might still have her job at Theranos if if there had been somebody there to help give them that support. But it's often in the world we live in, it's hubris that raises the money and then it's humility that creates for great leadership. And Mm. no one teaches that young technologist that it's humility and maybe bringing in someone who can help support them uh, and and mentor them that will actually make them a great leader. I'm I'm so proud of, Brian is now the CEO of the most valuable hospitality company in the world, a public company. A guy who went to Rhode Island School of Design had never started a company in his life, and he did it partly because he was willing to be courageous enough to say, I'm going to bring Chip in, he's not going to try to take my job, and I'm going to learn from him. And we need more young people. We need more people in general who, who welcome someone to be by their side who's going to teach them something.
0: Okay, so let's um, get into our toolkit a little mm-hmm. bit. what are some of the tools in that toolkit that can help people that are in midlife revitalize? Mm -hmm. Well,
1: first of all, let's recognize that there are three foundational tools that are most essential for midlife and beyond. Number one is purpose. So if you lose your sense of purpose as you get older, You replace it with TV. (laughs) I hate to say it, but you know the the average retiree in the United States watches forty seven hours of TV. So they replace their job per week. week. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Forty seven hours. They replace that forty seven hours a week of working with forty seven hours. So that is not purpose. Purpose is not watching uh, TV all day. Purpose is actually learning how to be purposeful. Mm. So I'd say a first a first key lesson here is. Uh, we do, we do get a little bit perform, performance anxiety about purpose because we feel like oh it's a possession you know you're supposed to have it right. start with trying to be purposeful what what could you be purposeful about what are you passionate about and that will be will create the breadcrumbs to help you find the purpose so purpose is, is one of the three foundational elements the second foundational tool is wellness <clears throat> and you are my role model for that you, you, yeah, I mean, I don't.
0: You can you, rub my belly and I'll you, tell you all you my secrets. You have a six pack.
1: Dude, <laughs> six pack in your 50s. That is impressive. Um, but it actually is about how you invest your time, whether it's what you eat or don't eat, <clears throat> what you drink and don't drink, how you exercise, how you sleep. The wellness factors become that much more important in our 50s and 60s and beyond than they were in our 20s. Yeah. Um, and so wellness is a... An, but I also want to say that there's a, something called social wellness. The word illness starts with the letter I mm-hmm. and the, l- the word wellness starts with the letters we. Yeah. And we do get a little bit possessed by the I part of wellness. Absolutely. Meaning the idea of what do I do? And that gets us to our third piece, which is community. And there's something called social wellness. I like social wellness. It's like what? how do we integrate a connection with someone else in our wellness experience, whether it's going to a retreat, a spa, or working out with a friend, or, um, or frankly, just even spending time going for a walk, uh, walking the dog with someone. These are important. They're sort of where wellness and community come together. But of these three foundational tools for midlife and beyond, the most important of purpose, wellness and community is community. And that's um, evidenced in a few different ways. Phil Pizzo, Dr. Phil Pizzo, from the Stanford Medical School, um, has shown that it's the, it's the most important of the three. Um, the longevity uh, work uh, of uh, Blue Zones work by Dan Buettner, right. um, who's actually on our faculty at MEA. Um, his work has shown that the most important uh, variable of uh, the Blue Zones communities is the sense of social relations. And then finally, Harvard's uh, study of adult development, a longitudinal study that's gone on for 75 years now, has shown that the number one ingredient of people who are happy and, long, and live long lives are people who have great social relations. Mm. So those are some of the some of that, the abstract qualities. Now, what other things could you do uh, to actually help support those? Well, number one is, I would just say, what are you doing to um, build a community of people that you're going to be learning with. Um, that's part of the reason I created MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, is I, I found that people who are on their own path in midlife, trying to you know get through it, but they don't have the social support, the crucible for life-changing conversations, mm. and the crucible for support when you're going through your your rough month. Um, it's harder. It is definitely harder. And so. Uh, part of the reason the MEA was created was to actually create that sense that in a group of 20 or 24 people in a workshop, these people are going to be with me and have my back the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just say that is something you can do, but you don't have to go to a workshop, you know, to, to do that. You could just say, who are the two or three friends in my life who similarly to me want to actually invest in feeling better?
0: I mean, here we are at a place called Commune. Yes. Um, and y- you came in last night right into the beehive <laughs> of an event for Kiss the Ground, which is a fantastic yeah. organization that's dedicated to regenerative agriculture. Right. And it's communing uh, people with shared passions and interests and watching the magic happen yeah. between people and the connections that are being made. And, um, and, and, There is an actual physiological and medical bridge between wellness and community. There's this emerging study of sociogenomics, so just The fact that we're here completely all here with each other, we're actually altering uh, our endocrine systems, our hormones, but also our gene expression. We're sharing our microbiome with each other. Um, And, you know, we'll do that off camera. Yeah. (laughs) And it's often said that the best indicator for health is who you hang out with. Yeah, you know, uh, to add another one to the studies that you cited, our mutual friend Mark Hyman. Yep, he had conducted some research at the Cleveland Clinic, where he was uh, treating diabetics. Mm-hmm. And he had one control group that he was treating on an individual basis, and he had one other group that he was treating in community, in groups. And the people that he was treating in groups were actually lowering yeah. their blood sugar. They were getting healthier at a much, much faster rate than the people that he was treating individually. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, there's, that is,
1: yeah. there's a beautiful phrase that I learned a few years ago. So I uh, it's called collective effervescence. Mm. And I think Wanderlust, had that, I was a founding board member of Burning Man, and I think Burning Man has, collect, you know, offers collective effervescence. What is collective effervescence? So, Emile Durkheim, a French sociologist, studied religious pilgrimages uh, about a, 110 mm. years ago. And what he noticed is that when you are with a group of people who have a common purpose and sense of common mission, your sense of ego separation dissolves, mm. and what comes in its place is communal joy. So <clears throat> that collective effervescence is the sense that you are not alone, and it's the sense that you are in a group of people who are feeling <clears throat> elevated by the, society, the, so, the social experience they're having. That can happen one-on-one. It can happen in a group of people. Um, it's part of what we do at MEA, is we try to create collective effervescence. Because if you do that, the lasting impact of that is so much greater mm. than just something you learn on your own or just some, you know, uh, some moment where you had a, a beautiful epiphany but you didn't have someone to share it with. Yeah. And so, yes, I'm, I'm a big believer in it, and I, I love the name of your company. Uh, I love the name of Wanderlust, too. You're, I think, if you know, it, it, when in doubt in the future, Jeff, you could become a branding expert for company names. Not me so much. You know, Modern Elder Academy. Who wants to be an elder? Joie de vivre. How do you spell that? Airbnb. What the hell is that? Uh,
0: well, those have done just fine. Um, you know, I mean, as it also, you know, pertains um to this notion of the word elder and its relationship to wellness so now what you see very prevalently in society is you turn 60 and you get a chronic disease or two or three and you limp through the rest of your life until you're 78 or or 80 and uh on this kind of slow descent, and Atul Gawande in his book, Being Mortal, talks about this. He actually shows it in a graph, you know, despite the fact that we have elongated lifespan, what we have done at least at the kind of beginning, end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century is, you know, we have degraded health span, and not only does that contribute to a lot of suffering for that individual. Yeah. But it also contributes to a lot of suffering for that individual's family, who has to then tend to them and take care of them as they become greater, more and more debilitated. Um, as well as the medical system. As a medical system, it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. So we have a $4 trillion sick care that's yeah. largely about treatment of symptoms with pharmaceutical drugs. But it also has really degraded the concept of being an elder who, you know, as now there's a differentiation between modern elder and elder, but elder has, an elder in society has generally been, you know, this font of wisdom that we always, you know, look up to, that we do revere, that shares, um, you know, cultural and philosophical knowledge with people. But more and more, we have, Transform the elder to the elderly, and yes. they've become a cohort that is a nuisance. They're sick. Well, they're and we also put we them, often, them off. Yeah, we yeah.
1: have age apartheid. Right. Let's go. Let's go put them out to pasture where we won't see them.
0: Right. Um, and so what you're doing is yeah. really addressing that at its core. Yeah. Um, by a focus on wellness and a focus on community and multi-generational living. Yes. And I mean, you know, we've talked about Dan Butner and, and the Blue Zones, but one of the chief characteristics of that is this multi-generational living. That's right. And it, it, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, you are instantiating a re-understanding or you're repossessing the word elder from yeah. elderly. And I think that's just so important.
1: Well, it is, and, it, and it's... But I think the key is to make sure people understand it is not about, you know, g- having all the power rest with the old people. Yes. Because that, I don't think that era uh, serves us well, um, especially at a time where we really need to solve some vexing societal problems. And we need every kind of brain at the table.
0: Yeah. So it's
1: that intergenerational collaboration, that new generational compact. So I, I, the mo- but, but, but what we make, need to make sure is the elder is at the table. Yes, uh, and, and the elder, you know, uh, war stories are not wisdom. And the elder <laughs> needs to actually adapt themselves to realize that just saying, you know, this, the way it used to be is this, or here's how the world works, you will get an okay boomer <laughs> um, in yeah. your yeah. face. Because quite frankly, you know, that is, that is not wisdom. Wisdom is not a war story. Wisdom is not telling younger people, here's how the world works. Uh, you know, knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. And uh, that's Jimi Hendrix right there, by the mm. way. <laughs> who knew that Jimi Hendrix actually said that? But he did, knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. And learning how to be a great first class noticer and someone who actually is an enlightened witness of people younger and being able to then know what dosage are you supposed to be offering right now mm. in terms of your micro dose of wisdom to that, to that younger person. That's what makes an elder in the 21st century.
0: Okay, if you could distill it to one piece of advice that you might offer someone entering midlife, what would that be?
1: Well, first of all, the, the term midlife crisis, I think should actually be um, transitioned to midlife chrysalis. Hmm. Because if you actually think about the caterpillar to butterfly journey, right in the middle, midlife for the, for the butterfly is the chrysalis. And it's dark and gooey in there, but it's also where the transformation happens. So midlife is full of transitions. And the one piece of advice I would give is uh, learn the three stages of a transition. So Mm. any transition you're going through usually has an ending, a messy middle, sort of a liminal period, the, the chrysalis, and then the beginning of something new. And once you understand the anatomy of that transition, you can understand at which of those three stages are you in and how do you, what are the tools you have available to you at each stage? Mm-hmm. And um, I think we'll talk more about that in the course. Um, but that is, uh, I think that's a really important piece of advice because nobody nobody taught us TQ, transitional mm. intelligence.
0: Mm, beautiful. I think T.S. Eliot wrote, the end of something old is the beginning of something new. Mm, beautiful. And those transitions, it's hard to grok that in the moment. Yeah. But if you can develop an awareness of that, that is yeah fantastic. Advice. It's like a
1: roadmap. and yeah. I think we are so lacking a roadmap for midlife.
0: Mm. Thank you, chip.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff.
0: yeah. What a thrill to be with you here on yeah. the commune and uh, and just profound gratitude for all your generosity mm. um, and all you've done to been the arc of so many lives. I will say your eulogy is in very good shape.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Hopefully we won't have to use it anytime soon.
0: No, sir. sir. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Chip. If you want to learn how to age and grow at the same time, check out his commune course titled thriving through midlife and beyond. Just go to onecommunecom thriving to start the course for free. And if you enjoy the show and would like to receive 30 days of free, all access to commune membership, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll down to the review section and tap write a review, and then email support at onecommune.com with a screenshot of your review, hopefully it's good, to gain access to more than 130 courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders, all free for 30 days. And while you're there, make sure you're subscribed. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime with questions or criticism of the constructive ilk at K at onecommune.com. Lastly, but not leastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jacob Lau, Megan Stone, Violet, Augustine, Silvana Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I'm here for you.